1: A 20 yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byram waits for the snap in the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22 19. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined you with my co-host Wheeler. Today we have a busy podcast ahead of us. We have a lot of staff hires to break down. We've got some recruiting stuff. We got some good basketball content. So let's just jump right into it. Last night, Auburn made it official to hire our offensive and defensive coordinators with Phil Montgomery from Tulsa and a defensive coordinator, Ron Roberts from Baylor. Wheeler. Just kind of let's start let's start on the defensive side. Give us your initial thoughts with Ron Roberts uh, and then we'll move to Philip Montgomery and then kind of just trickle down to the staff. But Ron Roberts has been the defensive coordinator at Baylor from 2020 2022. Um, he was previously the head coach at Southeast Louisiana in 2012 to 2017, has some experience with Louisiana. He's been at Baylor for a while, has some experience with Delta State. Give us just your raw thoughts on Ron Roberts as a defensive coordinator and how you would grade the hire. I would grade the hire actually pretty high. Um, I think Hugh
0: Freeze said in his introductory press conference that when he was looking at the coordinators, he was looking for some X's and O's guys. Um, I think you can tell based off of the fact that we were hiring a bunch of coaches on the staff that he either knew exactly who he was going to hire and they were telling him who to hire on the staff Or he was going to hire somebody that may not be a splashy name, but is just an X's and O's guy, just knows football backwards and forwards and can really coach up the team, you know, the way that they want to. Whereas the assistants will be your recruiters. I don't think that this is going to be a change either way um, for players like deciding whether or not they want to come to Auburn. Um, I don't think he's going to be super involved on the recruiting trail. I definitely think that the assistants are going to be more involved on the trail. Um, but as far as his coaching, I mean, he got fired this year from Baylor. And it it's just one of those business decisions, in my opinion. You know, they had a tough year this year. When you have a tough year, usually heads roll and That's kind of what happened to him. I mean, last year he had an elite defense at Baylor. And so you don't just forget how to coach. You know, Um, they had a tough year this year. I think that his overall body of work is impressive. And I think that he's a good, I think he's a good hire. I think you've got, you know, everybody else on the defensive side of the ball are known as elite recruiters. D-line coach, up and coming elite recruiter, Wesley McGriff, known as an elite recruiter, Zach Etheridge, known as an elite recruiter, Christian Robinson good recruiter. So you're really looking for the X's and O's guy. Um, so I was happy with it. What about
1: you? Yeah. So I, I think the the thing that I'm worried about is I think that mentally, I always just thought that those Baylor defenses that were good were Dave Aranda being a good coach and something that, you know, I feel like a lot of Auburn fans cling to is that Robert's taught Aranda a lot of the stuff that he knows. And, the The analogy that I use with that is if I teach, if I teach you arithmetic and you start doing calculus, am I going to take credit for you knowing calculus? No. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm a little a little concerned about with that reasoning that Auburn fans seem to have is that I think Dave Aranda is a defensive mastermind and I think he is a really good defensive coach, but I do think there's a line to like okay why is their defense so good? Is it because both of them are really good coaches? Is it because Aranda's just a really good coach and Roberts is just kind of trickling behind? I mean, I I don't know. And I think that's kind of – I think that he has shown that he has coached defenses that are really good. That 2021 Baylor defense was a really solid unit. But the 2022 defense wasn't very good. So, I think if the credit – I don't really know if the credit should be on him or if the credit should be on Aranda, if the blame should be on him, if the blame should be on Aranda. I really don't know. But I do think that there are, like you said, there are seasons that he has put up a good defense. And like you said, you don't just forget, you know, like it's, it's not like you're, it's not like when you're out of your prime, you just forget how to coach a defense in in one year's time. So I do agree with you. I, I don't think that it's as bad of a hire as some people are saying, I don't think it's a super exciting hire. And something that concerns me a little bit is it seemed that Brian Harson had the same mentality when it came to his coaching style, when it was he wanted his OC and DC to be X's and O's guys, just football geniuses, and have all the position coaches handle handle the recruiting. And obviously that didn't work. Now, I do think Hugh Freeze is going to have more of a front seat role when it comes to recruiting, whereas Harson seemed to kind of be in the backseat with Keesaw and Schmetting when it came to recruiting. I don't think Freeze will be doing that. I think Freeze is going to be on the road recruiting all the time. So I do think it's a little bit different. And I think that the, the, that way can work, but I am a little cautious about Roberts. I, I think it could be good, but I'm not, I'm not super excited, but I'm not just saying, Oh, it's a, it's an L hire. It's a horrible decision. Cause I do think that he does have potential to be a really solid defensive coach. But he, he's not the most exciting guy we could have hired, in my opinion. No, he's not. A, I, I wouldn't say he's exciting. But, I mean,
0: his job before Baylor, he was with Billy Napier at Louisiana. So, I mean, he's been around really good coaches. And really good coaches keep hiring the guy. I, I think that there's a reason why he's moving up the ranks in the coaching world. Um, he kind of tried to get into the head coaching world, and he was there for 10 years. And so he was at smaller schools as a head coach, and it seems like he kind of decided that, all right, I'm not going to make it as a head coach at a big Power 5 area, so I'm going to get into being a defensive coordinator because that's actually what I'm good at, um, and that's what he's been doing. So I'm fine with him. I mean, Harson was totally not involved as a recruiter. I think that that was a problem. I don't think that Ron Roberts is going to be just uninvolved as a recruiter. I just don't think he has the reputation. I mean, it's not Will Muschamp, you know. Mm-hmm. Who everybody knows is an elite recruiter and has been a head coach at Florida and South Carolina. Like, no, he's not that splashy, but that doesn't
1: mean that he's a bad coach, you know? Yeah, and I do think that comparing him to Will Muschamp, who I think who I personally believe is the best defensive coordinator in college football, obviously he's not gonna shape up well to an A plus plus hire. Right. So no, I I'm happy with it. I think that it's fine. I think
0: I don't know exactly who people wanted to get. You know, I mean, you kind of figured that it was going to be an obscure person when he was saying an X is an O's genius, and he was hiring, you know, the staff without consulting the coach. So I'm happy with that. I don't My, think it's the most exciting. Now the offense is
1: very exciting. Before before we move on to offense, really quick, what do you have to say? With, you know, some of the reports that say Charles Kelly, the, you know, uh, one of the assistants at Alabama, played at Auburn, stud recruiter, lead recruiter on a lot of the Alabama guys that are currently kind of, you know, in limbo, depending on, you know, who wins their their recruiting battle between Auburn and Alabama. Deion Sanders at Colorado wants to hire him as his DC. The, the reports really seem to indicate that he wanted the Auburn job. He played at Auburn. He's an Auburn guy. What do you think? Did you want Charles Kelly more than, but uh, more than Ron? Or did, how, how do you kind of how do you kind of equate the two guys? Obviously, uh, Kelly is more recruiting focused, kind of as opposed to X's and O's. But how do you kind of how do you pick that by yourself? Like, who, who would you have picked? Which guy do you think is better? What are your thoughts on that? That contrast. I think
0: that if we had hired Charles Kelly. It would have reminded me of the days of Trooper Taylor with Gene Chiswick, where there was not a lot of X's and O's going on. It was a bunch of guys that, I mean, could recruit with the best of them. We were bringing in loads of talent, and then nothing happened with them. You know, I think in the situation Auburn is in right now, we cannot hire someone who is elite at both X's and O's and at recruiting. I think that, you know, Hugh's a little bit of a hot hot topic right now. A lot of turnover in Auburn. I don't think that we're able to attract a coach that is both of those right now. So you got to choose one. And you chose an entire staff that can recruit, and then you chose one guy to be your X's and O's guy. Um, I don't know what Charles – I mean, we don't know what the X's and O's are, but the fact that he's never been a defensive coordinator before – Yes,
1: but he was a D.C. at Florida State. Oh, he
0: was the D.C. at Florida State, and then he got fired um, and was not chosen to be a D.C. again. Uh, You know, that's just something to – I mean, I guess our current D.C. just got fired. But it seems different. You know what I'm saying? Like, if he had gotten hired as a D.C. again right after getting fired from Florida State, then it's like, okay, it was a mismatch. Um, I'm happy with it. I think that Hugh's also kind of circling the wagons. I'm assuming he has some kind of relationship. Um, it seems like he has a lot of connections over at Baylor. Um, and I think that he's he's circling the wagons and going with guys he trusts, and he just doesn't know you know, Kelly as
1: much. and so he he didn't hire him, yeah, and I think that could that that could be fair, And I think it would have been a risk to go for Kelly. and i I do think it's smart. Because I, a, I mean, we've said multiple times on this podcast, you know, pr- pr- particularly in the last signing period, how kind of those Auburn, Alabama battles work when it comes to five star recruits. You know, we've been covering Auburn recruiting for a long time, we've been following it. We know Auburn typically loses the battles with the really big guys, and we're in the battles with some really big guys this class. And personally, you know, people have been saying that I'm, you know, that I'm a negative person for this. I expect us to lose most of these battles just because that's kind of how it always works. So hiring Charles Kelly may have kind of flipped that script and made us land some of those guys, but I do wonder if it would have been solely because we poached their lead recruiter and brought him here in the middle of signing day and would it have been, could he have won those battles in a year or in two years to bring a big time guy to Auburn or could he only do it when he already had that relationship with the guy and he already kind of was able to just kind of throw Alabama under the bus and bring him to Auburn so do you think that he would have been able to really bring in guys and beat Saban and beat whoever Saban replaced him with with some big time guys or do you think he would have been do you think he would have been a winner consistently against Alabama or do you think he kind of would have fallen in the cracks and not won some of those big time battles I mean it's hard to
0: say no one has done it before or not in recent memory, not in the past 15 years. Um, Even people like Will Muschamp, who we say is the best defensive coordinator in the country, he was still losing those recruiting battles. Mm. So I'm not – I think as long as Nick Saban is there, it's going to be really difficult to recruit against him. Because, I mean, if you're an elite defensive prospect, would you rather play for Hugh Freeze as your head coach or Nick Saban as your head coach? Yeah. I mean, that that's just going to be the reality of the situation as long as Nick Saban is there, regardless
1: of the relationship that Charles Kelly has with whatever recruit. I agree with that. And so to shift the, the focus a little bit more to of the offense, um, Philip Montgomery has been hired as the offensive coordinator. He's been the head coach at Tulsa since 2015 and was at Baylor previously. His records at Tulsa – as a head coach, leave a little bit to be desired, but obviously we're not hiring him as a head coach. But 2015, he went six and seven. 2016, ten and three. 2017, two and ten. 2018, three and nine. 2019, four and eight. 2020, six and three. 2021, seven and six. And 2022, he went five and seven. So obviously, as an I mean, as a pure head coach, it's not that great. You know, you're going you're gonna to look at that and you're like, OK, this just doesn't really strike a lot of confidence and uh, into your heart. But the thing that really excited me was that the only reason that he remained being a head coach after, you know, two, three, four win seasons was of how good his offense was. And that really did keep him kind of in the in the hunt until it became a little too much. But I mean, obviously his defense was atrocious, but just to read off some numbers, his first year at Tulsa, his offense averaged five hundred and seven yards per game. His quarterback threw for over four thousand yards and twenty five touchdowns, and his running backs combined for a little, a little right around two thousand yards. The next year, when his team went when his team won ten games, the offense averaged five hundred and twenty seven yards per game. Quarterback threw for over three thousand yards and thirty-two touchdowns. His top two running backs combined for three thousand yards. Okay, next year he averaged four offense averaged four hundred twenty yards a game. Quarterback had some a bit of some quarterback trouble with some injuries. The quarterbacks only combined for about two thousand yards, but his starting running back had fifteen hundred yards, and the backups combined for over a thousand. Next year, offense had the worst year he was at Tulsa averaged 378 yards per game, which still is not horrible. Obviously, in the American, it's not ideal, but that's still not a bad offense. Quarterbacks had more quarterback trouble. They combined for 2,000 yards passing. His running backs combined for over 2,000. Next year, 419 yards per game on offense. His quarterback threw for over 3,000 yards and 19 touchdowns, had a 1,000-yard rusher as a running back, and also his backup running backs combined for about – 700 yards. Next year, offense averages 414 yards per game. Quarterback throws for 1,947 yards, 13 touchdowns, 10 picks. Not a great year. Obviously, this was this was 2020, so this was the shortened year. Running backs, he has 544, 475, and 317. He really spread it out. Next year, offense averages 443 yards, has a 1,000-yard rusher. Quarterback throws for over 3,000 yards and 18 touchdowns backup running backs combined for over a 1,000 yards. His last year, offense average is 411 yards per game. He has two different quarterbacks combined for over 3,000 yards and 27 touchdowns. Running backs, he's got his starter at 729 in eight games. Backup has 352. Third string has 288. So I think when you read that, obviously it's a lot of numbers, but the thing that excites me about that is, A, his running game is really good. So that is really, I would say what the focus is when his teams were really good, it was because his running backs were just going off. And I, I personally, I, I think I have a different kind of a different look because I think a lot of Auburn fans have been breaking down his Baylor years and everything he did. Obviously he was the QB coach to Robert Griffin Third when he won the Heisman. But my, my first thought with the Baylor thing was that that was over, I mean, that was 10 years ago. And so I, I wanted to look at Tulsa more often and I, I was excited when I looked at all of the things that he's done at Tulsa. I think the offense was really good. He's only had one year where he didn't average over 400 yards of offense, and he's had two where he averaged 500 yards of offense per game. So I think that as a fan, I thought that him at Tulsa was just as impressive as him at Baylor with, you know, a little bit less to deal with. But Wheeler, what were your thoughts about Philip Montgomery being the pick at O.C.? All right, I've been looking for this tweet that I'm have Saw earlier
0: talking about basically his quarterback play and how they are, you know, he's been his quarterbacks have been in the top 10 percent of quarterbacks since he's been at Tulsa. Um, He's known for the RPO, which is, I mean, where the game is going right now. The beautiful thing about the RPO and the tough thing about it. So the tough thing about it is it doesn't allow your offensive line to be dominant. If you have a dominant offensive line, the beautiful thing is, is if you have a poor offensive line, it allows you to hide that. And so this is Hugh Freeze going and finding a guy that can develop the quarterback, which is what we need, and can run an offense around a lackluster offensive line. Because, I mean, offensive line recruiting really picking up at the high school level, but that's going to take a few years. That's, two, three years out, which we, we need to get that in because it's been it's been probably four or five years that we're looking at the O-line and we're like, well, we need some transfers because no none of the guys here are going to develop into something really elite. Um, so I love that we're building up that high school offensive line. Um, I hope that we're able to get a couple of transfers, but he's basically banking on the fact that he needs to win now and the offense that we've been running is not an offense that's sustainable. Not being able to throw the ball because your offensive line can't hold, hold up is not sustainable. You've got to run the RPO. You've got to help your quarterback out. You have to freeze the defense even just for a second so they can't just tee off on your running back and your quarterback. And that's what Montgomery brings to this. And it's like we said earlier, you don't forget how to coach. I don't care if it's been a long time since you developed a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. There are not a lot of coaches in the country that it can say that they developed a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Um, And it truly was a developmental thing. You know, Robert Griffin III was not Tim Tebow coming out of high school. Like he was not a, it's not even like, I mean, even Bryce Young, nobody's saying that Bill O'Brien developed Bryce Young into being a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Like, he was the highly touted, everybody wanted him. Same with, like, C.J. Stroud. Like, Robert Griffin III was a no-name quarterback coming into Baylor and turned into a Heisman contender. So, you don't forget how to coach quarterbacks. Um, when you're at Tulsa, you're probably not going to develop a Heisman winner because, I mean, it's Tulsa. And, I mean, you're not going to get an elite enough talent for that. So, I, I'm super excited. I'm super excited about the offense he runs how explosive he's been on offense. I couldn't care less what his head coaching record is because you have to coach both sides of the ball in special teams when you're a head coach. And he doesn't have to do that now. Um, Which is good because
1: his defenses at Tulsa were unbelievably horrible.
0: And that's fine. I couldn't care less if his defenses were horrible. I mean, he ain't going to be coaching anybody on defense. Nobody cares that he's coaching on defense so super exciting um I think that the quarterbacks are really going to develop I here's my thing is TJ finley on the team right now or is
1: TJ just like not in the portal and not on the team to my knowledge he's not on the team and but it was kind of a weird thing because at the last home game he was on he was on the sidelines he was with the team but he wasn't on the team and well, his- I think he was, I think he was removed from the roster
0: well, he's still on the online roster. Okay. When you look him up, he's back.
1: still on the online roster. Well, maybe he's still with he – was, he was removed from any depth chart, which part of that could be because he refused to play. But he was not on the depth chart. He did not dress out despite being healthy at the end of the game or the end of the season. So, you know, do with that what you will. But I don't think that – I mean, regardless of what happens – I don't think anyone's really predicting TJ to have a resurgence under Hugh Freeze and become the guy. Again, it's like
0: I said last year. If he becomes the guy, maybe that means that he's actually good. But we thought that this year, and he was horrible. I mean, horrible. Um, I do think it'll be – I think that this bodes well for Robbie. I think the RPO is going to – go with Robbie's game a whole lot more than Holden's game Um, but I mean we kind of knew that Holden Holden is not going to be the quarterback that you want to put behind a Swiss cheese offensive line you know he's going to need some time to sit back there and throw so I wouldn't be surprised if
1: Holden leaves I mean would you be surprised if Holden leaves yeah I think a little bit because I do think that if Robbie, Robbie has the years of college eligibility that if he, be, that if he bec- is developed and becomes really good, he can go to the NFL despite not playing as much, if that makes sense. So if things go 100% right, Holden can still develop under Hugh Freeze. And I feel like if Holden sees – I mean, obviously, Holden will stay this year. And if Holden sees that Robbie is completely transformed as a passer – I think that Holden, someone who watched Robbie play all year and watched him every day in practice, I think that if Holden can see that someone can turn Robbie into a good enough passer to make the NFL, I think that he'll know that, th- that Hugh can do incredible things for him, who was already a more gifted passer than Robbie. So I do think that if Robbie is the guy and is developed and looks amazing, I think that Holden will essentially be sold on Hugh Freeze as – a really good coach. Now, granted, if Robbie ends up starting, you know, the rest of Holden's career, Holden might not want to ride the pine for three seasons, which is slightly understandable. But, no, I I think I'd be very surprised if Holden was not on the roster at this point next season.
0: Interesting. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If Robbie can't develop with Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze, then, I mean – I feel confident that there wasn't somebody that was going to get the passer out of Robbie. You know, he's not playing baseball anymore, focusing on football. He'll have a quarterback coach, two quarterback coaches that should be able to get him there. And so if he has it in there, then... It'll come out. It'll come out. And if he doesn't have it in there, I mean,
1: heck, me and you don't have it in us either. So no shame in that game. Exactly. And so... To kind of build a little bit on the rest of the staff to mention, uh, the rest of the offensive staff, Jake Thornton from Ole Miss was brought in to be the offensive line coach. Carnell Williams will retain his role as the running backs coach slash associate head coach. Ben Igamawa, who is the tight ends coach from Liberty, also served with Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. Um, Ken Austin, a former coach at Kent State, will be uh, kind of an assistant role, an offensive analyst kind of role. So, Wheeler, just kind of give us a quick little rundown of what you think of the offensive staff and still have a wide receivers coach to hire. But with Philip Montgomery being a name, Jake Thornton, Carnell Williams, Ben Igamala, how, how do you see the offensive staff coming together? And overall, obviously, there are a couple of positions still to be filled, but how would you rank the staff right now on you know a letter grade scale? What would you give it?
0: Um, I would give it a B plus. I think bringing in a offensive line coach that just led a team to a Joe Moore Award finalist offensive line um, can't be a bad thing. Ole Miss definitely wanted to retain him, and he chose to come to Auburn. So I think that's a win. I know nothing about the tight ends coach. Um, you know, was Brad Bedell a good tight end coach? Uh, he got fired. So, take that for what you will. Um, Cadillac being running backs coach is awesome. I mean, I just think I've never heard of any of these guys. Other than the old Miss line coach, I mean, we just don't know. Like, they, they don't have a lot of big-time coaching experience, and you just got to trust Hugh that, I mean, he's hiring people that are trusted in the industry. Um, I don't think... I think as far as position coaches, you can't just look at where they've been before because they're really good coaches all over the country. Yeah, and it's all about who you know. Like you, you can be an elite coach and be at Kent State. Like you know, it's not like a player where you're like, Why were you at Kent State and not at Georgia? You know? Like, if a guy's connection and his coaching trees through Kent State, he's gonna be at Kent State. And That's not a knock on his coaching. In fact, he might be a better coach than the guy who's been coaching five-star athletes his entire career. Mm -hmm. If you've been having to develop a bunch of three-star diamond and the rough guys, I mean, you've actually had to coach. You know, you weren't just like, go play football, you know. (laughs) Run. Run fast. Don't get caught up in thinking too much about the offense or the defense. Um, So, I'm not averse to having the small – smaller school coaches come in to coach your positions. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how it all goes. I am glad he did bring some guys from Liberty, which, I mean, naturally, you're going to bring guys from your last stop. But I'm glad that it's not like uh, Parson who brought everyone from Boise State. I mean, he literally just brought Boise State to Auburn. And I'm like, okay, that's not great. He, He has guys from smaller levels, but from all over the country.
1: Yeah, and I also think that when you look at it, a lot of them were with him at Ole Miss as well. And I yeah. think that's like, okay, well, this guy's coached in the SEC before, and he just ended up – I mean, he he was with Freeze and less with Liberty. But another guy that you mentioned, uh, Jeremy Garrett, was the line coach brought in from Liberty. And then Wesley McGriff has been hired for the defensive staff. It's still a little bit in limbo how Wesley McGriff and Zach Etheridge are going to work out. Zach Etheridge has not been 100% hired yet, but – It seems like the plan is to keep him on staff in some capacity. And for someone who had offers from Georgia to join their staff as a position coach, you would think that he would be a position coach in some title. What that position is, yet remains to be seen. But Zach Eathers has been out recruiting with free. So it does seem like he'll be on the staff. Um, How would you grade our defensive staff compared to the offensive staff? Um, and obviously, Jeremy Garrett was another guy from Liberty, but also has experience with the Browns organization. So that's one where you're kind of like, I, I really don't care if you come from a low level college place because if you're a good enough to coach in the NFL, you're good enough to coach in college.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, I think that the defense has more recognizable names, whereas the offense, you know, we may not have heard about as many people. Um, I think that the big thing, I mean, just retaining Cadillac, Because your offensive guys, I mean, that's who their contact was, them and Ike Hilliard. I'm slightly surprised that Ike didn't get retained. Um, He must really like his receivers coach that he had at Ole Miss. Um, And, I mean, we don't know what kind of on-the-field coach Ike was. I mean, first of all, the receivers didn't touch the ball very much, but, heck, when they did, they kind of looked like they were about the same as last year where they had a problem with drops. Going back to that Mississippi State game, I mean, it was not a crisp performance. Um, so, great motivator, great recruiter. Don't know how much he was getting done on the field, and I think that that's something that he wants is people that get it done on the field.
1: Yeah, I do, and I do agree with that. I do think it was a difficult situation because his recruiting was so good, but also the offense was so bad. I do feel like it would be difficult to be a receiver in that offense when you're just never getting the ball. But I will say none of the receivers seemed frustrated about not getting the ball. Like they all seemed that they were bought into winning and they were trying – like if they thought that, you know, they they all could see that them, you know, laying good blocks was a better – better for the team than them trying to, you know, make all these catches. So I do think Ike did a really good job. I think Ike was a really good guy to have in that time. And I wish something had worked out, but obviously if he's not the right guy, he's not the right guy. Um, So Hugh Freeze is still finalizing the staff trying to, you know, build a recruiting class for the early signing period that begins on December 21st. So we'll have another podcast next week uh, with a little bit more recruiting focused um, to kind of break down everything. The staff should be pretty much completely uh, assembled by then, Regardless, kind of the heads of the main main positions have been covered. We have guys that are recruiting every position. So that's kind of where the staff is right now. We can kind of switch our focus to basketball for the last segment of this podcast. Obviously, Auburn lost its last game against Memphis, 82-73. to The Tigers have dropped down to number 19 in the AP poll. So, Wheeler, kind of give us your thoughts about, you know, we've talked a, a decent amount about this basketball team and the struggles that they have. We kind of saw those crescendo against Memphis. Were you surprised about the loss against Memphis? Were you surprised about how we looked, how we played? And how do you think they'll bounce back against Georgia State on Wednesday?
0: I think that Memphis was able to expose Auburn in a way that a lot of teams will not be able to. Um, I think the way that Bruce said it at the end was perfect, where he said 73 points wins this game, but not when you give up 84 basically saying we scored enough to win the game if our defense has shown up. Mm -hmm. Now, what did they do? They just ran the floor because they knew that the half-court offense, probably not where Auburn. I mean, Auburn's defense in the half-court has been really good this year. Where we've struggled is on, you know, the fast breaks. And so Memphis just got out and ran. I mean, they were running the entire game, and uh, Auburn was a little bit sloppy on defense. I think Bruce was a little frustrated with the effort that was given on the defensive end until the end of the game. Um, During the game, I was hitting the panic button, but looking back, I mean, it's just it was a bad matchup for Auburn. It was a bad day to not be locked in on defense and to see that when teams run, we kind of struggle to get back. Um, I don't love our matchup against Alabama. I don't love our matchup against Kentucky. I don't love our matchup against Tennessee, Um, but the other – or Arkansas. So it's going to be a tough road to get to the NCAA tournament when the upper echelon of the SEC presents a severe challenge to us. Now, do I think we can beat kind of the mid to lower tiers? I think we're a mid-tier SEC team this year. I think this is the lowest we've been in a little while. Um, They just – they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to play defense every single night because there's not an elite score. Like they're not going to be able to go out and win a shootout with a team. Um, And that's a different – that's different than what we've seen out of Bruce's teams recently. But that's just the reality of this season is the offense is just not very good. The defense has the potential to be good, and they just weren't able to put it together against Memphis.
1: Yeah, and I don't. I, it definitely wasn't ideal that Memphis had a lot of veterans, you know. And I think that veterans, when they know that something's working, they know they can kind of figure out how to expose some young, younger guys. Obviously, Johan and Chance were really struggling on Saturday, and there are obviously reasons for that. But I do think that when you've got an eighteen-year-old kid going up against a twenty-six-year-old, like obviously the twenty-six-year-old's going to have an advantage in that matchup. So. And also, I I think that something with the transition is that that starts with a miss on offense. And I think that's another thing is that we weren't able and obviously it's, you know, cliche to say, like, oh, the reason we lost because we weren't able to score. But I do think that when Memphis missed, they were going hard for offensive rebounds. And it made us kind of have when we got the rebound, we had to settle and just wait for something to happen. Whereas when Memphis was getting rebounds, they were getting more uncontested rebounds. They were able to just throw it up the floor and get some transition buckets. We weren't able to do that when we we weren't able to flip the script on that, and we weren't really chasing those offensive boards, trying to get offensive rebounds. We got absolutely manhandled in the rebounding category. So I do think there are some there are just little things here and there that happened. Obviously, we we got beat, and I think that there that's something that we're going to have to get used to this season is that there are going to be games where you just flat out get beat and they're going to be a little bit more prevalent than they were last year. And that's fine. That's okay. I think that this team, we've we've talked about who can step up as the main scorer. I don't think this team will ever have a main scorer. I don't think there will ever be someone that steps up as the alpha guy to lead the offense. And I think we're just going to have to deal with that. And it's going to be similar to 2020 before Sharif was there. And it was just kind of, you know, whoever was kind of feeling it. You kind of had Al in some games. You had Justin Powell for a couple of games at the beginning. You had Jamal Johnson in a couple of those games. You had JT Thor. I think you kind of just got a ride with whoever is feeling it that game. Because obviously when Sharif came back, Sharif was that guy. But he didn't play that many games that season. So I think that there is just a bit of a problem with this team doesn't have one. And so it's not necessarily that we have to find one. It's that we just have to feed the hot hand because we don't have a guy that can do that.
0: I agree. Um, It's not going to be – I don't think it's a championship-level team, and that's okay. I I still think that they'll be fun to watch. Um, I think we'll win this week. I'm not really concerned about coming out and looking good this week. Um, But once SEC play starts, I think it's going to be
1: a little bit more of a challenging year. Yeah, and I think that, you know, something that builds even more, I think that the, the length of how far this team can go is really what they can do on the road. Because I think that at home we'll still be fine. Like, I, I don't think an Auburn basketball team will ever, ever really struggle at home. I mean, I think that we will see our best games at home. If we upset some teams, it'll probably be at home, behind the crowd. That's something that our guys, you know, build off of that a ton. So, I, I'm not exactly – I'm not saying that we're going to go undefeated at home. But I do think that being the home team is really going to help us in a lot of these SEC games. But this team, we haven't we haven't seen them in a true road environment. We'll see that against USC and Washington. But I think that that's the real key on how far this team can go, on whether you're looking at the kind of the kind of postseason berth they're going to have, the kind of looks that they're going to have in the postseason, is just how much they can win on the road and how much they can replicate their home success with their road success. And I think that's the bottom line. And we'll see how that happens. I'll have opportunities to showcase that. But I think that's where my biggest concern is with this team. But regardless, that kind of wraps up this week's podcast. We'll be back next week to break down a little bit more Auburn basketball. Hopefully there will be some more encouraging performances. Football-wise, we'll have more of a staff, we'll be able to break down recruiting, and it'll be right before the early signing period. Then we'll have another one right after the early signing period to break down the class and all the surprises that happened. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening and War Eagle. War Eagle.